I'm Fred Faulkner, a husband and father with a passion for marketing and technology. I work at a top 50 consulting agency where I lead alliances and marketing for the digital experience and technology team. On this podcast, I share my thoughts, opinions, and experiences in business and in life. This is my view of the world, according to Fred. Welcome back to another episode of According to Fred, the podcast. Today, I'm fortunate enough to have another guest on the show, Christina Podner. Christina is a digital policy innovator. At her core, Christina understands that for today's businesses, the internet is full of both promise and peril. Promise because you have more ways than ever to engage with your customers. Danger, not only due to content and social media gaps that could alienate customers and damage your brand, but also due to a regulatory environment that is growing ever more complex every day with potentially high penalties for breaking laws you may not even know exist. For over two decades, she has worked with some of the most high-profile companies to balance risk and reward and opportunity of conducting business in the digital age. Christina has now focused on helping others master the methodology she has developed and hone their global digital policy chops through her experience. Christina is the principal of Native Trust Consulting, LLC. Her book, The Power of Digital Policy, was published in March 2019, She has lived in the EU and US and has experience navigating English, Croatian, Russian, German, Italian, and Japanese. Christina, it is great to have you and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Fred. It's good to see you. It is good to see you. So we met a few years ago at one of the the CMS Wires uh, digital summits in Chicago. It's been a while, but um, that's probably when we first met and we were both speaking at that conference, right? Absolutely. Remember it well. Yeah, I think we actually met at a dinner on the first night for a bunch of the speakers. And uh, actually, I forget if we actually sat next to each other or if it was uh, through another way. But um, you know, we connected pretty quickly on the fact that, you know, besides we're all there speaking on various marketing and digital things, but uh, really the idea of um, just digital governance and the components of all that goes around. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today so we can actually have a little more of a deeper dive and discussion because a lot's changed in the last couple of years around digital governance. And um, I wanted to just kind of chat with you around what you're seeing in the marketplace, uh, not only from the business side, but um, you know how we look at that also from a consumer perspective. So um, that's you know, what I want to spend a little bit of time talking with you about. Right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So how many is. hours do you have? Uh, you know, probably, oh, I have a lot, but you know, we'll, we'll keep it down to a, <laughs> not as many as we probably could talk about it. So let's set the stage a little bit. You know, digital policies, it's something you've been in for, for a number of years. Um, can you maybe spend a little bit of time talking a little bit about how you've gotten into this specific space of the world and what maybe is your definition of what digital policy is? Absolutely. So I, like many people who are as old as I am, stumbled into the space. I started out working for a dot-com when everything was the wild, wild west. I remember some of the first things that I did were things like pass unencrypted credit cards uh, for a campaign of donations online to a bank for processing, which was sort of like, wow, you know. Um, I managed to do things like bring down a really, really important website for most of a day because I forgot to back up their files. (sighs) And did a whole bunch of crazy stuff, like, right? I mean, this was all kind of cool. It was the 90s, the internet, and the web were just kind of like coming into the sphere of recognition for a lot of us. I learned how to write CGI scripts. I learned how to be a project manager, a tester, write Cold Fusion, if you remember oh, the days of Cold Fusion. I do remember Cold Fusion. I've, I've had yeah. companies that had those too, and they're still actually companies that are still using it today, surprisingly. <laughs> I know. I'm a little bit perturbed by that, but that's a different <laughs> That's a whole other company. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it is. So we were doing all these really crazy things. And I think that that was fine because it was 20 years ago or 20 plus years ago. 
and we could do crazy things. But what I noticed over time is that we continue to do crazy things. People kept basically redesigning their website every three to four years because it would become a mess. And it did that because what we didn't have is a framework. We didn't have any kind of guardrails that said, do this, don't do that. And didn't really kind of give us a sense of where we were going. And so we tended to most of the time just kind of fall off of a cliff. And you see that throughout the history, if you will, of digital, right? When we introduced social media into the sphere, people did all kinds of crazy things and social gaps on the social media realm. Um, you know, today we're talking about things like, you know, lots of data breaches, right? Every day a data breach, um, things like deep fakes, getting into artificial intelligence, right? Because we're now on the other extreme uh, of the uh, of the kind of time frame, if you will. And so to me, I started to notice a pattern and I said, oh, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to really give everybody who's working in the digital marketing space a lot of freedom, a lot of creativity to do what they want to do, but with that framework, if you will, that keeps us all safe. And since we both have kids, I'm going to kind of just share with you how I always talk to people about policies. Okay. I think about it kind of as my backyard. Yep. You know, we always had a six foot fence in our backyard and we have a child. When he was little, you know, two, three years old, we introduced this concept of do whatever you want in the backyard. The fence is there. You're protected. Yep. We knew he wasn't going to get kidnapped. We knew he wasn't going to get hit by a car. Yep. And then he would do all kinds of crazy things, right? He would ride the rake as if it was a horse. He would throw up sand from the sandbox, pretend it was snow. He raced these worms often to see which one would win, right? So the creativity was there. Right. The imagination was there. He could do whatever he wanted to, but he was always safe. And we knew nothing crazy would happen. And that's really what digital policies are for the enterprise. That's a great analogy and a great example. Um, and you know, we do know that times though, you know, people will look over the fence. Sometimes and people will try and climb over those fences and try and get in. And mm-hmm. and there's definitely components of all that. Um, you know, I, I have this kind of thought as I've you know looked at digital policies, and, and I've been part of groups that have created policies um, at organizations I've worked for. Um, and you know, but there's this question, and I kind of like seeded this to you ahead of time. But it's like, you know, I go through my annual compliance training. You know, isn't that enough? Like, how how do digital policies need to be looked at? Um, not only just from a creation perspective, but like education and where do um, kind of the the carrots and the sticks come into play? Because policies are one thing, um, maybe guidelines are another. How are organizations looking at digital governance and digital policies in a way that um, there is that like? It's, you know, the pirate code, it's a guideline. You don't really have to follow it only, only when it makes sense for your, your needs, you know, talk through, you know, explain a little bit more of like how that's actually, you know, companies do approach that. Do they approach it from a, there's a, there's a stick if you, and there's a carrot if you follow it or, you know, and, you know, talk through a little bit of that type of stuff because I'm interested to hear what you're seeing in other organizations versus what maybe people think like, Hey, I'm not changing. I'm not sharing IP. I'm not sharing trade secrets. You know, I go through my data privacy, you know, sessions. I'm good. Right. I remember this every year and that's it. Um, what are organizations kind of doing as far as that kind of carrot stick and what's real and what's a suggestion? (laughs) Oh, so that's just a loaded question. First of all, what we're doing today in most organizations makes me really sad. It makes me sad for the everyday worker who has to go through that actual training I mean, clients make me go through their training and I kind of shudder, right? And so I usually have an extra screen here and I click next, 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 next. I can score 90% plus without ever listening to the background noise, if you will. And I go, okay, number next. Uh And I go, you know, what a waste of effort for everybody. Let's stop doing that. Like just literally make people stop doing that. And then whoever insists that you do that, send them to jail. Like they get a timeout, basically. They can come back after a week or two. 
Um, that is not the way to get policies and get those guardrails in place into an organization. What I love to see done from a policy perspective and best practices that I actually shared in my book as well are to ensure that whatever you want to implement as a policy, and remember policies are the things you should always do or never do. So they're not optional, right? right? They're not guidelines. They aren't subjective. They're like, always do this, never do that. And those are the rules we live by, but embed those rules into the culture, right? right? Because here's the reality. We hire smart people and we hire competent people. Right. We're not hiring, you know, incompetent and stupid people. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. Every organization is hiring competent people. So let's start treating them as being competent and really a partner where we have to give them knowledge and information in context of what they're doing. We don't need to give them another 35 minute video on sexual harassment, because what we've seen is that that doesn't actually decrease sexual harassment in the workplace and doing another privacy training video like that doesn't actually increase privacy or security practices, it actually leaves them at the same level or even decreases them because people don't know what they're doing. So in my mind, when you're actually creating a policy, you're actually just starting the process. You're starting the life cycle that you have to have in place, which means that you're not creating a 30 page document. You're not putting it on SharePoint saying, Fred, go read this. So you know this, Uh right? That's not what we're doing here. We're actually creating a policy that says, Hey, Fred, a lot of attackers in the security realm like to bait people through phishing scams. Here's an interesting we saw yesterday, and maybe that's a tip of the day that we share by the elevator when you're able to return back to work and you see it on the way up to your office. Or maybe you see that as part of your login screen when you log in, right? So we actually feed the information to you in context of where you are. If there's a policy that's related to a content management system, why not put it in the actual content management system where people are working day in and day out? Why put it on an intranet? Yeah, that's it. Right. And so in my mind, right, think about it, you're in this world, yep. right? Doesn't that make sense? It does. And, you know, you're, you're speaking to the other part of my heart, which is around, you know, customer experience and, and the avenues of, you know, employee, inspir- employee inspir- experience that goes into that as well. Because, you know, when I think about customer experience or, you know, and consumers and, and users, it is, you know, there's your outside world that as a marketer, I'm trying to connect to and I want people to be able to access my website and, and access information. But then there's all the people that are creating that content and then publishing it. So to your point about saying, hey, let's let's put the tip of the day in the systems you're going to be using. Um, so this, it's there, it's top of mind, you, you know, it isn't this forced like, oh, it's compliance training. Like these are the things that should be fed on a regular basis to our you know employees so they're they're educated and and it's more real time than than i would say kind of the annual grudge of saying like oh i gotta do compliance training and oh i gotta build to this code and oh i gotta you know do this and am i really paying attention to my click 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 you know type of options so i love the fact that not only we're talking about the policies need to put in place but how you actually educate them into that change management and that other experience component with that too i feel that and maybe you've seen this but i I get the feeling that that is where you're seeing more success in the actual adoption of the guidelines and the policies that are being put in place with your with your clients because they're doing things like that than just working, putting these policies together. It goes in some digital book that goes on some intranet in some SharePoint place that you might see only when you need it because you think you screwed up and you need to go reference the policy on like how bad <laughs> you screwed up um, type of scenario. Um, it's kind of where I'm... Absolutely. I have... Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I have a client who is doing this really kind of extreme security kind of desktop exercise. What they would do is they would do two phishing, simulated phishing scams a year. 
And if an employee happened to fail on the first one, they would actually take them back their training and educate them. Oh, nice. If they felt interesting. Right. Right. <laughs> so it was like, you, you know, we baited you, yep. you took the bait. Yep. Now we're going to actually explain to you how you took the bait, why you took the bait, why you shouldn't have taken the bait and sit you through that. And then what they did is, you know, in the next three to six months, they would repeat the exercise again. And if the employee failed again, then they would just fire that employee. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, well, you know, it's a very, it's a, it seems extreme, but to the carrot stick scenario, you know, the stick is here, you're, you're putting our company at risk, right? Whether it's intellectual property, trade secrets, whatever that means, you're exposing our organization. You've had the chance, you've been trained and retrained. It's, it's, it seems, sounds extreme, but in all honesty, like it's probably not extreme in the sense of you have this expectation as an employee to, to not do these types of things. And you've, you know, it's an interesting outcome um, that, yeah. Right. And, <laughs> right. People kind of go like, wait, let me get my head around that. Is yeah. that really a good thing? And I think that, you know, it depends on the environment you're in, right? If you're in the financial sector as oh, this company right. was and having a breach would be such a oh huge gosh. detriment Absolutely. to them, right? They were like, we just don't want to take that risk. Their risk tolerance was right. really low. And that's what I think is really important, right? When we're talking about policies, it's not just about doing something for the sake of doing it. If that's the case, you don't need the policy. It's really about understanding what are the risks and the opportunities right. of our behavior. And if there's a high enough risk, right, that warrants the organization doing something about it, then take appropriate action. And in this instance, it was like, well, you know what? We really are very, very risk averse for any kind of a security breach. And so the answer was literally on the second attempt, if the employee isn't aware, isn't thinking, if we have this repetitive thing happen, right. we're just going to really get rid of that employee. Yeah. I've had other organizations that say, you know what? We don't like that. That's not our culture. That's not how we deal with employees. Right. And they've had a success with another approach, which is something called um, high fives. And so right. every time there's some kind of a detection of an issue that's been thwarted in the organization, or whenever there's actually some kind of an additional risk in the marketing space, an employee does a good job. What they do is do what they call a virtual high five, and they send out a you know five dollars gift certificate to Starbucks, or hey hey kudos twenty bucks to Best Buy, whatever it is. Right. And I think it's a really nice way to not only reward that employee, but also to have employees share with each other sort of what they learned right. and, and continue to kind of feel good about the fact that we're taking proactive measures, we're doing the right things and we are enforcing those right practices versus the punishing aspect. And so, you know, there's different ways of doing things, but I think that the next, next, next click video isn't one of them anymore. Yeah. I, I really love the fact that there's like, you've given two examples of, again, the carrot stick culture. You mentioned that that is a huge component of just everyday component, you know, life, but, um, and especially when you're at a company, but I love the fact that like you're also finding what you know examples of where that's actually being baked in to make sure that you know adoption and it's part of that culture, right? Our culture expects you to be smart about what you're doing, expects you to be smart mm -hmm. about our intellectual property, expects us to be smart about how we treat data, um, so we don't have breaches and we don't expose our customers um, and anything else that kind of puts us at risk. You know, there are those two spectrums of of the world, and I love that you kind of have examples of where you've seen it being successful. Well, maybe you know it's successful in both. Um, Digital policies, it's a big word, right? It's, it's a wide range of things that kind of fall in there. So when I think of digital policies, I think of things like CAN-SPAM, GDPR, CCPA, CASEL, just to name a few. Can you give a couple of examples of other digital policies that you work with companies on that we might not think of as policies in the same, the same way? And I might be very narrowly thinking because I'm a marketer and those are the worlds I kind of live in. But can you kind of give a couple of other examples of where you see what you do with policies with organizations? 
Absolutely. So policies actually range and it's a broad range and it goes anywhere from things like brand, right? What is our brand? What do we always do or never do regarding the brand? For example, you probably didn't wake up this morning and go, wow, I'm going to take our logo and put some yellow butterflies on it. Right. That probably didn't dawn on you because you were like, there's a policy around what our logo is and that's what we do. Right. Right. So it goes from anything like a, a brand logo issue all the way to things like privacy, terms of use. It goes to SEO and how you use SEO. It goes to accessibility oh, yeah. so that people with disabilities can actually get access to the digital products and services that we offer. Yep. It goes to cloud assurance. It goes to which MarTech staff we have and what tools we use or don't use. Right. So I can't just decide to go off and employ a new tool because I decided that that's what I want to do today. Um, it's about disaster Marketers recovery don't do and that backups. At all. Never. We don't Nobody. do that at all. No, we don't, no, no, no. I haven't seen that. No. Not in the last 20 years. No. 8,000 um, other SaaS products out there. We <laughs> never touch anything else we're not supposed to. So, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's a full-on rage and it can be anything as tactical as a taxonomy. Like, do we have an enterprise taxonomy with metadata that gets applied to all content? So however you want to parse your content, you can do that when the time comes and repurposing. It goes into who can open up a social media account, right. who can say what in social media. It goes into what kind of mobile device um, platforms we support, what do we not support, who do we hire in terms of third uh, party vendors, who do we not. And then it goes all the way down the rat hole, right, yeah. that I call are things like artificial intelligence and machine learning whether we're using it for marketing specifically or building it into products, the reality is we need all of that, right? It's about having really everything covered. And that doesn't mean that you need 700 policies for your organization. Right. Cause you just rattled off like, like, holy cow. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, that doesn't mean that. What that means is that your organization needs to be looking at this entire range of things and realizing where is their risk And where are the areas that we want to actually ensure that we prevent that risk from occurring, right? So again, it's not like my kid was not going to poke his eye out in the backyard with a stick, right? right? But that wasn't a big risk to me, or it wasn't as big of a risk as a car hitting him. And so I was like, you know what? That's the backyard. I'll take the risk of you breaking your arm on the playset. But I know that I'm actually not going to have to take you to the hospital or the morgue worse than that because you got hit by a car. And so it's the same thing in the enterprise. What are the really big risks? And also, Fred, what are the really big opportunities? Also, right, because that's the other side of this coin. Right, right. It's not about risk always, and it's not about compliance with laws. You mentioned a lot of these privacy laws. Yeah, they're out there. Should you comply with them? I don't know. People look at me a lot and they say, "Should we do this?" And I say, "Well, you know, are you asking me as Christina?" Are you asking me as a consultant to your organization? Right, exactly. It's like that was one of the things. Like, I mean, there's a balance as a consultant. Yours, you can inform, but they ultimately have to make the decision. You can recommend, but they almost have to own that decision and, and understand what the ramifications. I love the fact that you went with opportunity there too, because there are opportunities. And especially as we look at the marketing Mm -hmm. world where things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics, you know, there's that fine line between creepy that the the world like I as an organization have all these marketing technologies and I know I know how these things get stitched together so we can build better profiles about our customers to predict and give that one-to-one relationship as close as possible to an omni-channel experience I'm using a lot of big words here but they're all true you know to create the best experience for Christina in a way that when she's traveling 
you know, it has a problem, we know how to rectify that. Um, we know how to address that before she even wants to complain about it. Or maybe she's not going to complain about it, but we know she's not happy. So we know how to actually tackle some of those types of things. That is a fine line between love and hate. And that is where digital policies really kind of come into play because you as an organization have to understand where is that line you're willing to go with implementing technologies to do that predictiveness, to be able to create those surprise and delight moments when something has either gone wrong or just surprise and delight to make your experience even better. But you know, how much do you enable your customer experience, your customer service teams to, to, to go above and beyond? What's their limitation? What are the things that um, you're willing to let technology do for you? Uh, I mean, shoot, AI is getting into, you know, I see continuously articles about AI creating, literally writing content for marketers and it's not a human writing it. Like, that's a very interesting space to be because you could be very, you know, if you're a human isn't looking at this stuff and knowing the tone and the empathy and the, the other right words to use, you can get a bot and, or a AI, you know, that's been machine learned in a way that maybe been trained wrong to not realize that the, mm-hmm. then a gaffe happens. And then, then what do you do about that type of, you know, scenario? So, you know, that is, you know, talk more about the opportunity component of this. Like where's the opportunities that companies can actually see, when they create digital policies, is it because there's guardrails or is it because there's a guardrail enough that says now you're enabled to do what you need to do from a human element besides a policy that's on paper or a technology element? Oh, so that's a great question. I love that. So I I think that there's guardrails in this instance that apply both to the human aspect of it, as well as to the machines, if you will. So if I kind of think about where we are, first of all, in AI, because that's like a really, really loaded word, right? When we start to talk about AI and machine learning, it's really, really loaded. Yeah. Most of us in most organizations today, if you are going down the AI path, you're probably at that point. Like if I think about sort of what is the range that you could be in, you're either in this data gathering mode, right? Data gathering and the ability to kind of see that data. Yep. You're in a knowledge mode, which is being able to do something with that data. The next level or kind of the next phase would be understanding that data and applying logic and reasoning to that, right? From a human perspective, and then the last phase of that really is the machine is independent and it's reasoning on its own. Right. Right. And so we're still kind of in those early stages in most organizations, we haven't gone to the extreme of reasoning yet. And the problem really is that what we're doing is we're creating these data structures and the links between those data pieces, which are the knowledge aspect. And we're doing it based on our own background, our own biases. And really that's the problem. We're baking in things that aren't necessarily true, yep. right? And they aren't necessarily things that our consumers and our users are comfortable with us doing. So for example, you know, I'm traveling, my credit card company is insane. They flag things that are spot on, right. oftentimes in terms of my credit card misuse. And I kind of scratch my head and I go, how did they even know? Right. I mean, I travel so much, I forget whether I use my credit card or not, right? right? Yep. But they get that card, yeah. right? So how did they do that? And yet, you know, when I'm actually looking at something like a video on Amazon Prime Video, it doesn't get it 100%. So why is that? And it's because of a lot of what you already said, which is the empathy and the human nature of what we have and understanding what is okay and what's not okay to do, both in terms of our behavior as a brand or as an organization, as well as the behavior from a consumer perspective and what they expect. Right. We used to be in this, per- and you know this probably better than I do, but we used to be in this mode of market our products and services. And what mattered is that, you know, the product looked good or it sounded good, or we maybe had the right celebrity pushing it. Now we're in a completely different era, which is what does your brand stand for? 
Right. You can have the best product, the best service, but what do you stand for? Do you have transparency? If you're using AI, what does that look like? Right. And it's okay to gather that data and build it into knowledge and understanding and reasoning if it's actually rep- representative of A, who I am, and it adds the value back to me. Yep. My personal uh, assistant is an example of that. I text my mom um, in Croatian and English, sometimes a few other words of Italian, <laughs> and my personal assistant is thoroughly confused. I always text my husband in Croatian and I always text my son in English. Right. right. And my personal assistant it's taken about a year now to figure out who's who and what's what. Wow. And I don't mind it because when I'm driving and I need to text anybody and make good use of my time, yep. I appreciate that. So feel free to have my linguistic information in the contact. Yep. But when I'm actually going out there, perhaps to stand next to my neighbor and showing certain data privacy aspects of my house or her house or her car, I'm kind of going like, why do you need that much information about me? Right. Right. Yep. And that's where the creepiness factor comes in. And that's where we lack the transparency and the knowledge because companies aren't balancing out the amount of data and information they're collecting with the value they're kind of providing back out. Agreed. And we're going to get into the consumer side here in a second. So, but I want to ask you one last question to kind of like the business component of all this and what you're, you know, with digital policies. So I mentioned, I've been on teams before you mentioned what could seem like hundreds of different digital policies that are that you could be putting in place. And I know probably some organizations think about digital policies very proactively when they, when they work on projects and work in, mm-hmm. in groups. And I think others probably don't. So, you know, if you're going to make digital policies work in an organization of any size, what are your top tips for ensuring that you're doing it right? So the only thing that dictates whether you're doing it or right is whether or not you're able to manage a policy throughout its entire life cycle, okay. which means have I defined what you should and shouldn't do? Have I properly actually gotten this information out to people? Do people actually know about it? Right. Going back to the point of don't put it on to SharePoint as a PDF, get the information out to the people to the users in a way that they can actually ingest that guidance and understand it and also be empowered to do the next step, which is to apply it or embed it into whatever they're producing. Right. So I can say to you, Fred, here's my list of policies that you have to follow. But if your day job keeps you from understanding what that means, or if you need 10 other people to get that done and there's only one of you, you're going to fail. Right. Right. So I need to also empower you. What I always call is, you know, from a GC perspective, when I'm talking to general counsel, I'm saying, stop saying no in the organization. Start saying, I'm here to support and enable you. So that's part of that life cycle. Support and enable the user. And then ultimately measure, is the policy effective or is it not effective? And if it's not, why is it not effective? So if you're doing that life cycle and if you have an individual who's responsible for doing that, you are doing things already successfully, right? Because what's going to come out of that is a set of behavior that we expect to see Right. Yep. And also we're going to be minimizing the risk that will never be realized. And so in a small company, that just might mean, hey, we're writing it on the back of a napkin. Right. And it's yep. in the lunchroom right. or in a large organization or an enterprise. It might mean like, hey, you know what? We're embedding these policies into the CMS. We're embedding them into your email. We're embedding them into the screen that you log into. We're putting them uh, next to the elevator as a video screen. We're doing the high five for good behavior, yep. et cetera. And by the way, we're translating all of that out of our native English, which oftentimes happens right. into the local language and the local culture so that employees who are outside of the United States can do the same thing and have the same opportunities to perform well that everybody else does in English speaking cultures. Yeah, exactly. Maybe definitely, you know, we have, we are a global world and we are a global organization. If you have a website, you are a global organization, right? So 
you have to be thinking about that. And, and shoot, I mean, as we've gone through just even preparing for this podcast, I've been taking a little harder look at my own website, you know, how do I, you know, organizing ah. and getting, you know, I don't, you know, wasn't real before like accepting cookies. Like, yes, you know, it turns out I should be looking at that more, you know, proactively when people visit my site and do things. So even as an individual, right. Individual brand and, in, mm-hmm. you know, I have my day yep. job, individual brand. I even have to be thinking about what am I collecting? How am I using it? Like, okay, subscribe and get a, a newsletter from me. Like, what does that really mean? Like, am I going to, what's my privacy policy? I don't sell your information period. Okay. I don't do it, but there might be other cookies on my website that might be doing something with that, uh, with that data. I was like, Ooh, I have to actually think about what my privacy policy is going to be around how I interact with people that want to, you know, interact with me and how do I consume that, you know, that data and then use it. So while I don't have any real intent of using that data outside of sending someone a newsletter and letting them know when I have a new podcast recorded or whatnot, but you know, Google collects data, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, if I put Mm -hmm. a Facebook um, beacon on my site, that's going places. There's a Twitter beacon that that's going places. And I'm a little, you know, smart enough to know to be dangerous when it comes to what goes on with the web technologies, but there's a lot of other people that are just plopping things on their site without thinking too much about what it really means to, you know, to, you know, uh, how that data is being transferred and used and who's actually getting, you know, access to that. So, um, which leads me kind of the flip side of things. Okay. You mentioned your son, you got a backyard, have a fence. Mm-hmm. I have two children, I have a yard, I got a pool. You know, there's a lot of other kind of things that go on mm-hmm. in our life. But we both have children that are of the age of smartphones. You know, they have now more of a mm-hmm. digital life. They have their own email address. They have, you know, I want to download an app. Um, and I see this also all the time, you know, in Facebook and other social media. It's like, oh, download this or what's this, you know, app. And now it starts to wonder, like, you know, what's actually going on and how much do we need to be vigilant ourselves about what we're doing with our own data? And you mentioned like how much you're helping, you know, your neighbors, you know, walking through some of that privacy stuff to your question, how much data or how much information do I need to give other companies about me just so they can do what with it? So, you know, my question to you is like, how vigilant do we really need to be when it comes to the digital policies of the brands we interact with and say yes or no, and be conscious of that because I think we all have downloaded those apps. Terms of service, uh-huh, click, you know. Yeah. Scroll, 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 scroll. Apple's like 15 miles long and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I just said, but I'm done. Click, okay, now I can download whatever I need to download, right? So pros and cons of us as consumers paying attention and not paying attention to that. So absolutely spot on. We have to be vigilant. And I always say that a lot of parents today are almost like what the legal department used to be years ago, or maybe still is today in your organization, which is they're like, no, no, don't do that. No, no. Right. And I kind of go back to the notion of as parents, I think what we have to be is a supporting mechanism for our children. And we need to be enablers, which is their reality is they're growing up in a digital world. And so we don't need to be yes, no, kind of the cop head, what we do need to do is be the person who's helping them understand what does that digital world look like? What are the risks? And also what are the opportunities? And where is it worthwhile to kind of accept something versus not? And so you're absolutely spot on right. Like those, you know, next, 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 scroll through 17 pages and then install your newest iOS. That needs to stop. Like that needs to stop from an Apple perspective, a Microsoft, a Facebook, et cetera. Like all organizations need to start owning the fact that gibberish and more pages of it for legalese is not the way to interact human to human. What is fair is for me to say, hey, Fred, here's what I'm going to do with your child's information or here's what I won't in plain speak. And we are starting to see companies do that, by the way. You know, Sony is doing a really great job from a PlayStation perspective trying to get there. 
they're not there yet. They're trying. Yeah. Um, I see like the guardian every day when I read the newspaper doing a great job as well. So there are organizations out there doing the right thing. That's good. But our children don't natively know what's right versus what's wrong. Well, I would say there's probably a lot so, of us in general are not doing what's right and what's wrong either. I mean, you know, there's definitely exactly. the, you know, often you're know, so like, Oh, these different, like, I don't know. The, the, the ones that bug me the most are like when I see stuff in my Facebook feed and it's like someone said, I took a quiz and you know, it, it said this in, okay. But by you accepting that quiz to do that quiz, because you want to know if you're a Gryffindorf or a Slytherin, you know, you're actually giving that third party, not Facebook, that third party access all your contacts and friends. And guess who I am? I'm a friend with you on Facebook, which means now you're exposing me by your bad decision because you want to know what, house you live in in the Harry Potter world, like now there's a responsibility that goes even further. And, you know, marketers, I'm in the camp. I love us. You know, I love our breed to death, you know, about trying to do things and get people to engage and interact, but Mm -hmm. there's ramifications for that too. in a bigger world than just sometimes yourself. Um, Absolutely. Which is, I mean, you know, just think about this because you do have a Facebook account. How many people have you seen so far share their personal high school senior portrait? Right in support of the 2020 class, yep. right? So people are like, hey, you know, here's my class. Oh, so happy to be a proud alum of blah, blah. Well, guess what? You've just now exposed one of the most common password reset questions publicly, <laughs> right? Which is either what is your high school mascot or what high school did you go to? Yep. So congratulations, yeah. right? And that's where it starts. Right. What you've also done is actually put your image out there for algorithms and machine learning uh-huh. efforts to actually understand how you've aged over time. Yep. We can actually capture things like your facial recognitions and we can unlock your phone now. Yep. Like there's so many things that people aren't thinking about except like, oh, so sorry that you can't walk down the aisle. I'm supportive of you. Here's my photo from my high school yearbook. And so I would say before you do something, like stop and think about it. Right. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a policy person. And I found myself two weeks ago sitting next to my kid working with him and almost posting something that was not okay. Right. And it was funny. It was like, literally I had my laptop. He had his laptop next to him. We took a selfie. You could see our eyes over the top of the, the laptop. Yep. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to share this, right. I'm going to share it on, on social media. And I was going to do it on Facebook. And then I caught myself yep. and I said, look at that laptop again. It's a school issued laptop. It has his school ID on it. Yep. It has the name of the school. Is that something you want out there? Is that okay? Right. And what does that mean? Yep. Right. And I just went, whoops. You know, so we all need that filter. I thought it was a great idea. And then I was like, okay, not such a great idea. So we need to understand that we need to teach our children and we need to start explaining what are the ramifications. You know, I think you and I talked about things before, like even TikTok, right? Such a rage. Yep. Right. Like, you know, I don't know if your kid's using TikTok or not. We've, we've kind of gone down and not letting the TikTok road go down. And I know, uh, you know, there's varying points of view on that. I'm, I'm kind of in the point of view of like, who really owns it? Who's invested in it? Where's all that data really going? You know, I can get into my conspiracy theories left and right, you know, but it's enough where there's been enough news around, you know, that um, particular brand mm-hmm. that I'm like, you know, create your funny videos all you want, but not on that. Like we can find other outlets for you to be creative than, than to use TikTok. Um, but at the same time, like my sons, have, I've at least educated my older son and saying like, you know, you can't download something until at least I investigate at least the company that created it to know, is it respectable mm-hmm. game company? Where are they located? What are we doing? Like you need to at least go through some of the steps of that process before you're going to download something. I know your approach has also been more of like proactive, like you said, proactive education, right? TikTok, 
you know, read the privacy policy. What does it really mean? You know, what, what are they going to do with that? I mean, what's your kind of also yeah, take and on you know, Well, first of all, my take is you should get a gold star as a parent. <laughs> I think everybody needs to be involved with their kids at that level and having these conversations. And I'll tell you two different things that happened with my kid. And they are, I think, typical things that will happen with anybody's kid. So first of all, before our son turned 10, right? He was like, I have Instagram, I have Instagram. And I was like, no, you can't, no, you can't. 13. <laughs> right. But we're always talking about things like what is social media about? What is digital policy about? What is data collected about? Right. What information is okay? I mean, since that's great, he's understood that he doesn't have to give a social security number to the doctor's office because they don't need that. Right. That is not information they are entitled to have. That is yours and yours alone. They don't need that. Right. He understands things like my teacher asked for my date of birth today. Is that okay to give or not? Right. And the answer is yes, but without the year, you can do the day and the month. That's enough. Right. Right. So he's always been in this world and we've always talked openly about what's okay. What's not okay. How do we perceive that? And so my son at the wonderful age of 11 and a half got into a peer pressure situation. Everybody had Instagram. His parents kept saying, now, you know what he did? something nobody else's child would ever do. <laughs> Secretly downloaded Instagram and created an account without my permission. Oh no, no kids never do that. I don't know. <laughs> never. <Yeah. laughs> so it took me two days to bust him, right? And call him out on it. Um, so Wait, did I'm you sure find out through some other notification of- that he did it? Or how did you find out that he actually had downloaded it secretly without you knowing about it? So this is like the mommy network, right? Oh. This is like where I empower the mommy network. It was not, a, right? it was a I different digital out. policy that went on. It was a digital this. policy. <laughs> exactly. The, the beacon went out. The notifying beacon went out. But here's what was really good about this, right? So I called him out and I said, hey, do you have an Instagram account? And before you answer, I think twice, right? About yeah. what do you want to say to me in the next two, yeah, your, two your minutes? Your next words are very important, what you say. <laughs> and so, right. And so here's the thing. He said, mom, he said, everybody had it. I really wanted it. I realized it's the bad thing to have done because I actually did it when you told me not to. But I created an account that has nothing to do with him in terms of his person. He didn't use his first name, didn't use his last name, um, you know, based it off of soccer. He said, I put in a fake birth date. I put in a fake city. I haven't posted any images because I know they actually have encoded geolocation into them. Right. I haven't posted anything yet. I've just friended my friends. And I thought, that's interesting. And so I thought, okay, here's a moment where he's been listening right. to everything we've been saying. And this is why it's important to educate the kids and to support and enable them yep. rather than just saying yes or no, because we need to give them context for living in the digital world. Yeah. And when we're not there to say yes or no, they have to make up their own mind. Yeah. And, and that's a real important. And I love the fact that you've, you know, also probably by just pure nature of kind of what you do as a, as a or, you know, as a business as well, but just educated. And that is something that I want to continue to do with my kids. And hopefully those that are listening will, will think about a little more twice of even what they're doing, you know, themselves and maybe how they're being proactive with their children. Because like schools do like the whole internet safety and my, my sons are in, you know, in scouts and we go through cyber chip training, which is like, you know, kind of like internet safety as well. But you know, all the internet safety stuff they're talking about still doesn't talk about this stuff. It doesn't really get into the, you know, other protecting components of like what your data then goes and does and how you're being, you know, and this is a digital footprint. This follows you forever. This isn't something that just goes away. You know, you have the Cambridge Analytica, you know, type of, you know, stuff. There's, mm-hmm. you mentioned about the the uploading of the pictures, you know, now you have all this, you know, just this week with all the things that are going on in the world today with, you know, the protests and other things and how Amazon has ceased letting um, uh, 
police departments use their facial facial recognition software. I think Microsoft has done the same. You know, there's Clearview IBM that's out there. You know, that's. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I remember last time I went uh, just recently when I had my last birthday, I went and had to get my. Um, driver's license picture taken again. And they said, we need to take your glasses off. And I said, why? And like, well, facial recognition software, you know, needs to see it. You need to see your eyes. And I'm like, do I have a choice? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay. You know, took the glasses off. Like, but like, that's just like, we're getting into this kind of really interesting space with all this. So the more we're educating our children, the more we're educating ourselves about what we should be doing with this, I think is going to be, it's going to be super important. And I love that this is an area that you are proactively doing. And I love that we're having this part of this conversation so we can kind of continue to make that education happen. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really, really great opportunity for businesses out there for brands that are forward looking and forward leaning to start having these conversations with their users and extending that to anybody who's in the user space. And that's one way of also getting trust with different brands. And right. I think about it. Yeah, go ahead. I was saying that you, a lot of the brands we've been using so far have all really focused on privacy, right? How much are you mm-hmm. sharing? Like Facebook, you know, like they always do the privacy kind of like survey audit every once in a while, go through your privacy settings, make sure you know who's seen what and what you're doing. But it needs to go further than that. I, I really think, you know, yeah. it does need to, the brands are going to be proactive about that, as you mentioned. I think you're going to start to win the day in the grander customer experience world because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. what's well, the one thing that makes a break a brand? of wanting to have a person come back time and time again. And the words trust. trust. As soon as you lose yeah. trust, that's it. Game over, right? Because they'll 10, 10 people that they had a bad experience. They'll 10, 10 more people that they had a bad experience. Trust is the number one factor in customer experience and policies come into play and how they address that and how cons- you know brands engage with their customers and build that trust. Don't break it because you want to do something dumb with that data because you didn't tell them about it first. Absolutely. And I think what's really important to understand is right now we're so heavily focused as a society on data and security, but it impacts other areas as well. I always think about this very much from an accessibility perspective, because a lot of websites that I see, I mean, it's still fucking websites, forget about like AI and machine, just like the plain old website, you know, website that we've been building since 1995 or 96 is still not accessible to people, for example, who have a visual disability. And I say, you know what, are you actively looking to ignore that population? Right. And for, you know, we can talk about morality and ethics, et cetera, but like just net it out to business. Right. Right. Just because somebody is, you know, blind or has a visual disability doesn't mean they don't have money to spend. Yep. Just because somebody can't navigate your website quite the right way because they have carpal tunnel doesn't mean that they're not going to tell their neighbor that they had a bad experience online. That's right. And so, like you said, it's trust and it's trust around data and privacy and it's trust about accessibility and getting that good user experience at the end of the day and saying to somebody like, Hey, we as a brand have integrity and we're putting your rights and your interests and your desire to have this experience online in the right context. And we're putting that first and foremost. Yeah. And that's why we're here today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap today's episode up. It's been you know, a great conversation about what businesses can be doing, what we as consumers can be doing um, to really, you know, be more savvy about what we do with our data and and how it's being used, but also how companies can be taking more advantage of really being serious about digital policies, not just the creation of them, but the actual implementation, the advocacy, the education, and continue to make sure that you're doing not only what's in the best interest of what you want to be doing as an organization, but the best interest of your customers at the same time. And I really love that our conversation has traversed both of those aspects of it for for our conversation. So thank you, Christina, for joining me today. It has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Red. I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, it's always great to see it you. It always is as well. So, all right, before we let go though, I would be remiss and not to mention that you do have a book 
And it's a great book. I actually read it and it's, it's got some great points for, for organizations to really be taking on their digital um, policy journey. You know, it's, it's got some great evolution of how to think about policies, where to go with it, how to actually implement them. Certainly you take that fully and extend further in your consulting business as well. Um, but I really think it could help any organization of any size. And I really, you know, even as an individual, there's definitely pointers in there that makes me think about how I'm doing things online and, and engaging with my listeners and engaging with other people that want to engage with me through my digital presence. So I highly recommend you guys get that. You can catch it up at Amazon if you want to get it in digital and print format. You could also head over to Christina's website, thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com for other options and how you can actually grab it. I highly recommend picking up a copy and, and checking it out because I think you'll find at least, I guarantee you, you will find at least one, probably half a dozen or more tips in there that you did not think about that you need to be addressing when it comes to digital policies in your, your organization and maybe apply them to your personal life as well. Thanks, Fred. I appreciate that. So lastly, if someone wanted to get a hold of you and want to reach out for more information, maybe you want to inquire about your services and what you want to do, what they want to do with you, how can they actually get a hold of you? You know what? Everything starts at thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. They can get from there to my personal site, um, get information on what I do. But what I would also say is I have a digital resource center and nothing is password protected. All of the information is free. So if anybody just wants to get a sense of like, hey, you know, what's really going on in the policy world? What should I be thinking about? That's a great starting place. And you don't have to give me anything, including your name. You can just go out there and avail yourself of the resource. That's amazing. A great resource for people to go take advantage of. So thanks again for joining me again, Christina. You know, have a great rest of your day and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to catching up as uh, soon as we're hopefully back at the next VX Summit or whatever their conference we're going to be heading off to. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So that was my conversation with Christina about digital policies. We actually went on to talk more about digital policies and the internet for about another 20 minutes. Maybe I'll go ahead and publish that as an after the interview episode another time. But that's it. Another one in the books. Hey, before you leave, if you liked what you heard today, I'd love it if you can subscribe and so you can catch up on new episodes when I drop them. And if you really liked what you heard, I'd appreciate if you give my podcast a five-star rating on Apple or wherever you actually listen to podcasts and can provide a review. It really would mean the world to me. Also, if you want to send me a note or you can share your thoughts and comments about this episode or just send me any feedback, you can send them to at fred at according to fred.com or you can find me on Twitter at according to fred. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.